welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com podcasts. Today's congressional testimony of Peter Strzok, the FBI agent who exchanged anti-Trump texts with a bureau lawyer, promised to be contentious, and it lived up to its promise, breaking down in partisan bickering among the committee members from the very first question. In an impassioned answer, Strzok said his personal political beliefs played no role in the investigation. I can assure you, Mr. Chairman, at no time in any of these texts did those personal beliefs ever enter into the realm of any action I took. Furthermore, this isn't just me sitting here telling you, you don't have to take my word for it. At every step, at every investigative decision, there are multiple layers of people above me. Joining me now is William Banks, professor at Syracuse University Law School. Bill, Republicans have been using these personal texts for their argument that Mueller's investigation is biased for some time. Is there any hope that this hearing won't turn into a partisan match as it started out? I I don't think so, June. We had more fireworks this morning than there were on the Mall on the 4th of July uh, from the accounts that I read. Uh, it, it's lining up that way. We, we already know as much as we need to know about his uh, behavior during the investigation. Uh, we all recall just a few weeks ago the, in, the Inspector General report thoroughly reviewed uh, the involvement of Stroke and, and his uh, then-girlfriend, uh, Page, in the inappropriate text. And he, he said in no uncertain terms that while the behavior was uh, improper and unprofessional, that there's no evidence that it had any impact on the impartiality of the investigation. So what's the point of this testimony? He already testified in private. Right. So, you know, the independent counsel investigation and the Mueller investigation are separate, of course, from congressional investigations. They're conducted in the executive branch. Congress likes to remind the American people and others in government that it has at least as much authority to investigate the the going on in government as does the uh, other political branch. And uh, that's what they're doing. Unfortunately, in this case, I I believe that it's being done to make partisan points and and not for any uh, uh, fruitful purpose. Did you hear anything that you hadn't heard before about those texts? No, nothing at all. In fact, uh, you know, there was the investigation of the inspector general, of course, was uh, lengthier, more deliberative, and indeed the report was more thorough about the nature of the texts and the context in which they were written than anything that's going to uh, come out in the hearing today. What the Republicans wanted to demonstrate, I think, at the very beginning was that he, Strzok, was much more heavily involved in the Mueller investigation than than had been led, uh, we had been led to believe before. He asked how many individuals he interviewed in the first eight days, things like that, that get into the weeds uh, of an ongoing investigation that he struck the witness uh, properly refused to answer. 
couple of things struck me as a lawyer, and one was when Strzok said that the FBI counsel, as you mentioned, instructed him not to answer questions about the continuing investigation of the Russian right. meddling. And then Republican Robert Goodlatte, who is an attorney and chair of the House Judiciary Committee, said Strzok couldn't consult with the FBI's attorney and could only consult with his personal attorney. It seemed to be the FBI's privilege he was asserting. Are there any grounds for saying, you know, which attorney you can consult with? Well, there was, a, you know, underlying that that debate, which is a, a fair one, is the question of whether he was there under subpoena or voluntarily. He says uh, that he was there voluntarily. He'd agreed to appear before he ever uh, received a subpoena. So if he's there voluntarily... Uh, I suppose there's there's more reason to to argue that he should be consulting only with his own lawyer, other than rather than with the FBI. If he's responding to subpoena, of course, it's part of his job to uh, ask for advice from his employer about how, what he can say and what he can't. So then that would cut against what Goodlatte said, because Goodlatte said it that he would. was there under subpoena. Yes. Uh, that seems to be an easy thing to to uh, figure out whether he was there under whether subpoena was served or or not. Um, right. Something he did say that that also struck me was he said he was one of a handful of people who knew details of the Russian election interference and its possible connection to Trump camp and to the campaign. He said this information had the potential to derail and quite possibly defeat Mr. Trump, but. It he didn't. It didn't even cross his mind to expose that. Do we know what he's referring to there? No, we don't for sure. Although, you know, given the timing, we can surmise that he was aware of the uh, electronic surveillance that may have been con- uh, carried on in June and July of 2016 of those who were involved in the in the Trump campaign because of their involvement themselves with uh, with with foreign uh, entities, Russia and and the Ukraine. We know more about the the nature of those now than we did then. Where does this leave the Mueller investigation? Will this have any more effect on um, the Republicans ratcheting up of the attempts to derail the Mueller investigation? Will this give credence to either side? I don't think so. Uh, you know, it's it's been relatively quiet lately, and, and here we are in July, and soon the uh, Congress is going to take their uh, summer recess, and I think this will quiet down and Mueller will, will continue on. We, we might think that he's getting close to the end of his investigation, but we don't know that for sure. But I, I doubt there'll be more fireworks uh, unless something happens, say, around the Labor Day period when they uh, when they come back from recess. I'd like to to change gears just a little bit and talk about uh, Michael Cohen, uh, per, Trump's personal lawyer. He's been ma- he's been doing things that sort of don't fit in with the way he has behaved up until this point. One being that he talked with ABC, and is this an outreach to the prosecutor's office, saying that you know basically indicating that he wants to turn, or do you really need to do outreach to the prosecutor's office? You don't. I mean, it's hard to read Cohen, and there have been so many uh, permutations uh, and and changes in the narrative along the way. But indeed, you know, the longer this goes on and the more uh, things pile up against him, he he may be looking for ways out and ways to make a deal. And uh, talking to the media is, is one way to hasten that process, I suppose. But 
you know, it's uh, it, it's hard to tell in his case. Again, it may just have been a, a slow day at, at ABC. Well, um, what what sort of puzzles me is. What I mean, we assume that his attorneys are that his his at least his the attorneys who are representing him criminally, that they are talking with the prosecutors yes. about the case. So it, it just it's so so people are saying, well, is there going to be a deal? And maybe this is outreach for a deal. I mean, isn't that something that you discuss with the prosecutors? Yes, it is, and 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 I assume that is going on, and why you know. Cohen may just have needed to to get some attention uh, on that particular day. Uh, you know, what, how much of the allegations against Cohen are amenable to to deal making is hard to know at this point. But certainly, they're talking about some of the issues. And another odd thing is he has hired Lanny Davis, who is known. He wrote a book about how the election was stolen from Hillary Clinton by the revelations of FBI Director uh, Comey. And now he's representing Michael Cohen. What? I, I, you know, just just for a second, think about it. Tell us what your thoughts are about why. Well, uh, success rate. I think, you know, there are a few high-profile lawyers in these politically connected cases who've done especially well, and I think Davis has a very good reputation. And so uh, I think which side of the partisan uh, uh, line uh, Cohen is on uh, matters very little when it's his own skin. And the other thing is Lanny Davis is has connections to the Clintons. He does. It's ironic, to be sure. But again, you know, he, he closed the Clinton file. Now he's opening a Cohen file, and he's got other files, and that's that's what lawyers in this business do. Yes, well, it's it's it gets getting more and more complicated, and it seems like there's a lot of overlap recently. Well, thanks, Bill, as always. That's William Banks. He's a professor at Syracuse University Law School. Democrats are vowing to throw roadblocks in the way of the confirmation of Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh. One of the groups mounting the fight is Demand Justice. Joining me is Christopher Kang, chief counsel of Demand Justice and former deputy counsel to President Barack Obama. Chris, only conservatives will be nominated by President Trump. So why fight Kavanaugh when you could end up with someone even more conservative next time? Well, I'm not sure that we could end up with somebody even more conservative next time, given Brett Kavanaugh's demonstrated record. And so we're going to fight this nomination because Brett Kavanaugh's record demonstrates that he is anti-health care, he's anti-abortion, and he thinks Trump is above the law. And these are the values and the principles that we need to stand up and fight for, regardless of what theoretically might happen down the line. So from the why to the how, Republicans have the votes. Justice Neil Gorsuch was confirmed by a vote of 54 to 45. How can you beat that? Republicans do not have the votes. Republicans currently have a majority of senators. But when this nomination unfolds, when Judge Kavanaugh's full record comes out, when the one million documents that are sitting in the Bush presidential library come out from his time there and reveal even more about his thinking and his analysis when it comes to these critical legal issues, I think you'll see the tide change. There are currently a majority of senators who believe that Healthcare for people with pre-existing conditions should be maintained and not, as the Trump administration is trying to do, taken away in the courts. And there are a majority of people who believe that Roe versus Wade should not be overturned. These are critical issues that I think we can change the tide on. And when the time comes for a vote, Judge Kavanaugh can and should be defeated. 
Let's skip over the Republican votes for a moment and talk about the three red state Democrats who voted for Gorsuch. Joe Manchin of West Virginia has said that Kavanaugh has all the right qualities and high moral standards. Can you keep him and the other Democrats from voting for Kavanaugh to protect themselves at the ballot box? If you just look at Judge Kavanaugh's record resume, there's no question that he has the qualifications. But qualifications are more than what school you went to and where you worked as your last job. When Senator Manchin and other senators look at his record, they look at President Trump's litmus test when it came to, comes to overturning the Affordable Care Act and its critical health care protections, I think he's not going to have a very hard time politically going back and saying, I am continuing to stand up for all of the West Virginians who have pre-existing pre-existing conditions and are receiving health care. And that would be taken away if Judge Kavanaugh were confirmed. We're hearing the same things from the two Republican female senators, Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, that we heard when Gorsuch came up for a nomination. They wanted to make sure he'll follow precedent and not overturn Roe v. Wade. But Gorsuch's votes show that whatever a nominee says, he's been vetted by the federal society and will follow his past. I completely agree with you. And I think that that will be true of Judge Kavanaugh as well. And Judge Kavanaugh's record goes even further than that. Just last year, he delivered a speech in which he praised Justice Rehnquist's dissent in Roe. I think we know where he's headed and what his views are with respect to precedent and with respect to Roe versus Wade. And I think that when Senator Collins and Senator Murkowski and other senators have a chance to question him and examine that record, they're going to understand that if he is confirmed, Roe versus Wade will in fact be overturned. So So what is your group going to do concretely? Where are you going to be spending your money? How much of it? What's the plan? We already have ads up in Maine and Alaska. We'll have other ads up going as soon as the end of the week talking about these issues, talking about health care, talking about protecting health care for people with pre-existing conditions, talking about the fact that Roe versus Wade is on the brink of being overturned and encouraging people to contact their senators and make their voices known. We are, we've announced that our overall budget for ads will be $5 million. And I think you'll see that spread out from now until the time that this vote is taken. How does your budget compare to the budgets of the conservative groups that have made this, you know, for years and years have been fighting to have a more conservative court? Well, we'll never match the conservative groups dollar for dollar, but I also don't think we need to. When the American people, by a majority of two, by a margin of two to one, believe that Roe versus Wade should not be overturned, and by a majority of two to one, do not believe that President Trump should be taking away health care for people with pre existing conditions, we're going to see a lot of grassroots energy and activism come out. And I think that people's voices, their telephone calls, their marching in the streets, I think that's going to overwhelm any money disadvantage we might have. About a minute left here. You helped oversee the confirmations of Justice Elena Kagan and Justice Sonia Sotomayor. Are you going to be taking part in the prep of Democratic senators for these hearings, or how are you going to be taking part in that? I mean, I think we leave it to the Democratic senators and their staff and the legal experts that they consult to figure out exactly what lines of questioning and issues that they might be interested in. But I will say one of the things that I'm helping to lift up based on my experience with Elena Kagan's nomination is, again, these documents at the White House. The Clinton administration, the Clinton Library turned over 170,000 pages of documents from Elena Kagan's confirmation process, 99 percent of what the Senate asked for on a bipartisan basis. There are more than a million documents out there in 
in the Bush Library for Judge Kavanaugh, and I'm helping shine a light on that to make sure that the entire Senate gets the documents it needs in order to make a decision. Thanks, Chris. I'll note that you changed your Twitter name to Chris, hashtag Stop Kavanaugh Kang. That's Christopher Kang. He's chief counsel of Demand Justice and former deputy counsel to President Obama. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.